sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour you'll find them at the back of the range and here's your host ben adelberg and welcome to the back of the range i am your host ben adelberg this is episode 242. good to be back home in south florida for a couple days what a week at the jones cup invitational first of all congrats to palmer jackson from notre dame wire to wire winner he had the low round of the tournament in the opening round with a 66 backed it up with I would argue an even more impressive 69 on day two when the wind picked up. And then the final round, oh gosh, the final round, 45 degrees, blowing 10, 20, 30, who knows? Absolutely brutal conditions. It was a day where if you were Palmer, you just hang on, gut it out, which is what he did. Only two players broke par that day, and it was with 71s. Yes, we got Jones Cup weather on the final day. And I was out there with my long johns and rain pants and vest and winter coat, gloves, ski cap, hand warmers, and I loved every damn minute of it. Palmer will be making his way to the back of the range in the near future, so keep an eye out for that episode. It'll be coming up later this spring. Huge thank you to everyone at Ocean Forest and Sea Island for a tremendous week. John Wade, Charlie Killian, Tyler Forrester, Bill Jones, and Jim Stahl, the hosts, uh, food and beverage, housekeeping. I mean, they really took care of me as if I was one of their own. And I'm already looking forward to returning for the 2023 Jones Cup Invitational. So I'm home getting a few things done here behind the scenes. Some very exciting projects for 2022 are on the way. Some announcements are coming. Some new merch is on the way. So stay tuned. Keep listening. Follow on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, if you have any comments, questions, reach out. Send me an email at ben at thebackoftherange.com. Next stop for me is the Gasparilla Invitational in Tampa, Florida. This is one of the elite mid-am, senior-am events in the country. I'm so excited to get to Palmasia Golf and Country Club to cover this event. Tons of friends of mine from my playing days are in the field. And and by the way, I played, yeah, I played golf in in the Gasparilla Invitational where I, I think I got a top 30 in my loan appearance. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Next week's guest is the defending champion, Chip Brook. So we'll be chatting about his 2021 that saw him pick up a win, not only at the Gasparilla, but also at Birmingham. So big year for him. And this is really a preview episode to the Gasparilla Invitational. So make sure you check that one out as well. My guest this week is Martha Lang. Now, with most episodes here at the back of the range, the process of coming up with the episode title, it's, it's pretty easy. Jensen Castle, U.S. Women's Amateur Champion. Alex Fitzpatrick, Wake Forest Walker Cupper. Justin Leonard, not just a Ryder Cup hero. But with Martha Lang, I chose a lifetime of excellence in amateur golf. And I know she's listening right now, shaking her head, saying, why is he doing this? Why did he choose that title? But what else am I supposed to do? She played in the national championship in college when she was in Alabama. Did you know that when she got to college, there wasn't even a women's golf team there? So she's a pioneer. She also won the U.S. women's mid-amateur, played on a Curtis Cup team, captained a Curtis Cup team, and has won numerous Alabama Golf Association titles. So she's a legend. 
but she's also served the game on every USGA committee you can imagine and volunteers her time to help grow the game and pass the torch on to the future stars. You know when I first met her? The 2020 U.S. Amateur at Bandon Dunes. While Tyler Strafacci and Ali Osborne were battling it out, trying to capture their own USGA title, the lady that was walking with them step for step, calling out the scores of each hole as the official score, yeah, that was Martha. These guys are trying to win a USGA title and get an automatic spot on the Walker Cup team. Martha Lang already did all that. So that's why the title of this episode is A Lifetime of Excellence in Amateur Golf. And that's why it's an honor to welcome Martha Lang to the back of the range. Martha, how are you? Hello there, Ben. I'm doing great. Thrilled that you're here at the back of the range. And um, wow, we have a lot of fun stuff to cover. But, you know, last time I saw you was uh, at the SEC match play at your home course, Shoal Creek. And we'll talk a lot about Shoal Creek before we're done here. But um, as as I've done, uh, I don't know why I keep doing this in, in the wintertime, because I'm in South Florida, and it seems like a lot of my guests are in places that are getting cold weather. But how are things uh, up in Birmingham uh, lately? Well, you're having that cold weather that you're talking about. That We, we kind of bounce around. We'll have a couple of days sure. every week that it warms up, and then it rains and gets cold, and then we go through that cycle again. But uh, we can kind of see the uh, light at the end of the tunnel. And um, January is almost in the books, and so we're looking forward to a, a good spring. Now, a lot of people I talk to now, they're, they're hitting balls in, in indoor um, you know, practice facilities or they're putting on their carpet or they're, they're trying to, they just have the golf itch. Now, do, do you have, uh, how is your case of, of, of golfitis? Are you, are you itching to get back on the golf course or finding other things to keep you busy? Or, or how bad is it? Oh, I, I'm, I'm playing some, not, not a lot, but um, is uh one of my friends asked me when I first moved to Louisiana, are you a tutu girl? And I said, a tutu girl. And she said, do you not play when it's too hot or too cold oh, or too windy? And that's I said, hysterical. I said, Nope, I'll play. So, uh, so I still play. <laughs> and we, we've got a couple of indoor bays. And so if it's really bad, I can, and I need the, I have the itch. I can go and hit balls out of the bay. That is uh, that is one aspect of Shoal Creek that I saw that I was very impressed with. That little uh, that that hitting bay just to the the left of the first fairway, that looks like it gets a lot of work and a lot of time uh, during during cold sessions. That looks fantastic. Yeah, it really is. It's it's a lot of fun to go in there and you know they have a launch monitor and then you can really get depressed by looking at that. But um, <laughs> but it's but it's 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 a lot of fun. So when the kids come in there, all these you know these these you know young, young men and women that are playing junior golf or they're getting ready for college or even if they're getting ready to 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 get back on a professional tour. In fact, there I I drove past the back of the range uh, several times and saw Smiley Kaufman out there. Oh yeah, we have uh, probably oh ten or twelve young players that uh, we call them our tour development we used to call them our tour hopefuls but now we call them tour developments and program and yeah that there are quite a few out here that uh enjoy practicing and playing and and it makes it fun for us to have some some young kids like that around and uh, yeah we've been really happy with that program so you got your start in the game um in in decatur alabama 
That's where you were, that's where you grew up at Decatur Country Club. And, you know, I love just kind of diving into start, you know, you're, you're starting the game and, and yours is, yours is very unique because, you know, well, maybe not the, the junior golf aspect. You've had, you know, great success in the Alabama State Golf Association winning, you know, junior championships and, and, you know, amateurs and, um, gosh, you won the Alabama State Junior four consecutive years. So, uh, definitely a junior standout in your own right. But I, I love kind of discussing and learning more about the, the culture of, of of junior golf. And when you started playing, did you immediately jump into, into competition? Or when did you kind of first realize, it's, like I said, you know, it's one thing to enjoy the game, but it's quite another thing to enjoy playing competitively. Do you remember kind of when you got started in playing competitive you know, junior golf? I think I know I played in my first state junior when I was 12, and I played in the nine-hole division. And, and uh, I think that was the first time I'd played in, you know, a real tournament. But uh, going growing up, I played with the boys, and I think that uh, always makes you more competitive because sure. – you know, they didn't want the girl to beat them, and I didn't want them to beat me. And we would bet our twenty-five cent, have our twenty-five cent Nassau, and keep a running tab of who owed who. And and so I think that's where I really was probably honed on the competitiveness. So, if you can go back in time and have a rematch with one of your rivals from junior golf, who's the who's the first person that pops into your mind? Well. You know, I played in the U.S. Junior when I was, uh, I think, let's see, I guess my first time was at Flint Hills when I was uh, 15 and uh, played with Hollis Stacy. There you go. And so, and then, and then the following year, we we ended up playing in the semifinals, and she beat me in the semifinals. So I guess that Hollis would be one of the first ones. Didn't take long for you to come up with that name, did you? <laughs> you always remember those people that beat you. Uh-huh, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the kids right now, and you're around them all the time, I mean, with your involvement with the USGA uh, on the, uh, on the you know, uh, you know executive committee, and, and we're going to get into a lot of the things that you do with the USGA, but you're around these kids all the time, not just at Shoal Creek, but you're traveling the country uh, as, you know, serving on rules committees and, and, and championship committees for all these great events, but you see these kids all the time and, you know, they're, if they're playing in us juniors, they're getting ready to make that jump into college golf. And they're looking at, you know, which, which you know, f- program they want to go to. And does this coach match up and does this facility stand up with this other facility and the scheduling and all these crazy, uh, well, not crazy, but all of these factors that have to go into it. You went to the university of Alabama and there wasn't even a golf, a women's golf team in Alabama at the time, was there? That's right. Yeah, but um, we we didn't have any team. And another gal, uh, Lynn Parks uh, from uh, Tennessee, said, "Let's. Are you interested in trying to get a team together?" And I said, "Sure." And so um, she went to, I guess, the athletic department, and and we didn't really have a team, but uh, they sent sent me to the uh, national championship in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and I went, and I went by myself and had uh, 
one of the coaches from one of the Florida schools kind of um, chaperoned me. Sure. And make sure I didn't misbehave or do something crazy. <laughs> and uh, and so that was kind of how we did it back then. It's it's really amazing when I go to these you know, any of the college tournaments now and just see what uh, these young kids have and the the training that they get and the the coaching and equipment it's it's pretty impressive so when you go to this national championship i mean there's obviously like you said it's just you there's no coach there's no assistant there's no i mean is there are there even alabama uniform i mean are you wearing an alabama shirt do you have a bag i mean like what i'm still just kind of fascinated that i mean forget about competing as an individual you're competing as an individual and as the program i mean you are you're the program you know, I can't remember, maybe my junior year, we had a golf bag and maybe they gave us a, a couple of golf shirts, Unbelievable. but uh, that was pretty much, but I will say they were, Alabama was always very supportive and they, they paid for my trip yeah. each year that, uh, that they were always very, very supportive. And in my senior year, we actually did have uh, four people on our team, and, and I think we finished seventh or eighth. That we you, we did pretty well. Did. So yeah. it, so it was, you know, I, I think that Alabama was was trying, and and that was really just about the time Title IX was coming in. And so we tried. At one point, we we went to the athletic department and said, you know, this would be a great time for you to really put some money in the women's sports right. and get ahead of everybody else because it's coming and they did. And, and so I think that, uh, you know, at that time, uh, Bear Bryant was there and, and, you know, I felt like he was pretty supportive of the women's game. Yeah. He played, it looks like, um, I mean, you played in the national championship all four years when you were there. I mean, you're all American and, and yeah, you're exactly right. The, um, the, the team finished seventh and and really ended up being the first full year that you what that women's golf was a varsity sport at the University of Alabama and just to kind of put things in perspective I mean this is 75 and you know in 1976 I'm guessing uh, you know I'm guessing you're uh, you know I, I you know early 20s but I mean this is the time I mean the leading money winner on the LPGA tour in 1976 was Judy Rankin who a lot of people now that that watch the LPGA they know the name she's a legendary commentator broadcaster but she was also an incredible player but in 1976 she was the leading money winner on tour and her earnings for the year it was actually the very first time it passed over a hundred thousand dollars her official earnings were 150,000 that year and wow. just to put that in perspective, Danielle Kang, who we will talk <laughs> about a little bit later, just won the Tournament of Champions last week and made $225,000 for one tournament. It's so, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it really is that, uh, that the LPGA, well, all of golf, and particularly women's golf, has come a long way. I, and I still, because, I mean, like I said earlier, the kids, they're, they're talking about you know being recruited and doing visits. You really just kind of said, "Hey, I I want to play," and you just really just formed something out of thin air. Did you have friends that were kind of doing the same thing in, at other schools, or did they already have their teams? What was maybe the, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie obviously between you know college golfers. Do you remember kind of these conversations that you had? Uh, 
there were a couple of, there were schools that did have golf teams. Uh, Arizona State was one of the first ones, and, and there were some other schools. And, and the, I think Auburn about that time was trying to get one together. And, and so I think everybody was kind of just learning as they went and, and realizing that, that all women's sports were going to start coming up and around and progressing. Now, now you were obviously your lifetime amateur. Did did the professional route ever be? Was it ever something that looked attractive to you, or, or any? Or I mean, obviously there you're, there's no money in it at that time. But I mean, are you thinking about there's just a chance? Because I mean, you finish you finish third in that national championship, and you're one of the top players in the country. Did, did that ever cross your mind to maybe give the pro ranks a shot? Oh, I, I'm sure I thought about it, but I I really had always wanted to be an amateur. I didn't like the that life. But okay. I love to travel. I love to travel, but I didn't want to go to a laundromat and wash my clothes and put them back in the suitcase. <laughs> that I, that part uh, right. just never appealed to me, and and so I never really uh, considered it. And it's funny because with the amount of travel that you do with the USGA, it, you kind of are doing that sometimes in, in several years. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's not your job. You, you know, your paycheck doesn't rely on it, of course. But you are doing a lot of travel for the USGA. Well, I was. I'm not anymore, but okay. uh, I I did, but not to that extent. I mean, playing some of these girls are playing in 25 tournaments, yeah. and and you know when you're working with the USGA, you aren't doing nearly that much. Your playing career, uh, not just in what you've done in college, but you know, numerous titles with uh, the Alabama State Golf Association. I mean, winning the amateur in '73, and then. Um, you know, women's Southern golf championship won a couple of those. And then obviously we, we get into the, to the, the big ones. We, we talk about, you know, uh, you know, runner up at a, at a USAM, but also capturing the, um, you know, the US mid-am in, in 1988. And as I've talked to many mid-ams and, and I'm, and senior ams for that matter, but you know, when there's always that, that gap of when you get out of college and you kind of got to get your career started and uh, kind of find your way and then once you settle in you bounced around a little bit you know you worked for for shell as an accountant you were in houston you're in chicago and and finally making your way you know through louisiana and back to alabama so you've moved around a little bit and you you know we talked earlier you mentioned that you obviously did keep playing and and kept your game sharp and um you know maybe not full tournament schedule but have to keep some sort of consistency did you revisit i mean did it become a priority to play competitive golf as a mid-am or is it something just you fell into what was maybe your routine back then of just you know trying to enjoy the game and play competitively when i lived in houston i was trying to balance work and playing some golf and playing a little competitive golf and it was really hard because back, back then you had two weeks of vacation and that was pretty much it but i did you know, I played in the state amateur in Texas, and then when I went to move to uh, Illinois, I did the same thing. I played in some state tournaments, and then when they started the mid-am that first year, that uh, that really, I thought, was such a neat idea, and I did try and play in that. I, I mean, I did play in it. I uh, didn't make the cut, but I played in it, and that uh, reunited me with a lot of people that I had played golf with in college and junior golf. And so I think that uh, that bond was reestablished. And I think we all kind of 
went with that and and saw how much we enjoyed playing golf and competing and so that was that was a great uh, little thrust for all of us I think yeah because you're mentioning I mean that that first championship was in 1987 and then you actually win it you know you win it in 88 so you missed the cut the first year then you come right back and actually you're in Amelia Island was the site of that victory. I've I've played out there at a, at Amelia Island Plantation. That's a that's a fun place to spend a week. But yeah, it's great. You know, talking about the mid am, it's just it's kind of that that second chance at competition where um, I've talked to numerous mid ams, and it's like a reunion. You're seeing, like you said, you're seeing people you've played golf with, and just kind of a, a another chance at uh, at competitive golf. Well, and you're playing with people that. Uh really wanted to play golf as an amateur where even then you could still, I, and I've you know, played in the women's amateur, but you're playing against a, a little different caliber of player sure. at that point, even that, uh, that you're playing more against the college players and in the mid am you're playing against mostly players that have a career or are doing something else having families and that kind of stuff. And so golf is important, but it's not the end all. Um, you, you get to this point where you're continuously playing, you, you win this national championship and, you know, doors open for you moving past that. And, you know, obviously I'm talking about Curtis cup, you're getting to play Curtis cup in 92 did you ever think that Curtis Cup would be something that that would be in your future? I mean, obviously you're probably playing. I'm guessing you're playing some of the best golf of your life when you're playing full time in college, and you're 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 still not having to balance career with athletics. But I mean, did you ever think that that would be in your future playing Curtis Cup? Well, I guess in the back of my mind, it was always a dream, but I'm, sure. I'm not sure at that stage that uh, it really crossed my mind that, um, you know, I, I was, in, I think you said I was runner up in the amateur. I was in the semifinals of the amateur in uh, 91 and also was runner up in the mid am. And I think at that point was kind of when, um, you know, some people started saying, you might have a chance to make the Curtis Cup team. No, you're and I thought, oh, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> that I mean, something you get excited about, but then when the reality starts uh, sinking in, you're like, oh, wait a minute, that might actually happen. Well, I'm not sure I ever thought that, but... <laughs> Well, I mean, you're you're right. I, I you were runner up in the '91 U.S. Mid Am, and and um, and that gets you onto the the team in '92. And uh, gosh, I mean, just the 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 players on that team, you know, Sarah LeBron Ingram, who who just captained the the Curtis Cup team this this past year, and Vicky Getz. Gosh, Vicky Getz must have been what 17, 18 years old at the time. That's right. Yeah. That, uh, that uh, she and Amy Freeworth were. In, well, and, and, and that was an interesting thing at that point. I probably there was a 50-50 mix, maybe one extra mid-am, but it was more mid-ams or as many mid-ams as collegiate players. And, and that totally has changed. Yeah. And, and now it's all virtually all college players. Yeah. Yeah. It, there is that time in the eighties and not just for Curtis, but also for Walker cup, there is that time in the, you know, seventies, eighties, and even into the early nineties where, um, there was that mix between mid-ams and just, 
and almost like it was flipped from what it is now. So, like, you know, a couple college players, and it was mainly mid-ams, it seemed. That's right, yeah. And But uh, Vicky and Amy and Tracy Hansen, and, and really at that point Sarah also were, were good young players and, and were, you know, they were fantastic players and good teammates. And this is, and I'm guessing this. I mean, this '92 Curtis Cup was at was at Hoylake. It was at Royal Liverpool. I'm I'm guessing this is your first trip across across the pond. A little bit different than traveling by yourself to play in a national championship in Alabama. <laughs> this is a little bit of a different ball game. Well, I we had gone over there on a vacation one time. Okay. And and and, and actually, uh, you know, we played a bunch of courses and had a great time. And and so, boy, when I found out that I'd made the and we were going to get to go to Scotland and England. I thought, wow, this is really something, and, and it was. Now, you're, you you played just once. You're you're a captain '96, but played once and had a you know had a lot of success. You know, played played three matches and two zero and one. So very successful as a player. What about Lynx golf? Uh, you know, because that's not an easy transition, especially for Americans going over to you know, to, to England or Scotland, you know, for the, obviously it wasn't your first time, but if you're going over there and it's, it's a very different game, you know, what about it attracted you? You seem to make the transition pretty quickly. I loved it. And I still do. I think it's so much fun to go over there and play. And, and really I enjoy playing in kind of maybe not really bad weather, but it's fun to, to play in some elements. If you go over there and you have, you know, 75 degree days every day, it's, you don't have anything to talk about when you come home, but sure. when you play when it's uh, rainy and it's coming at you sideways and that, it's it really, I, I enjoy that. I think it's kind of fun. Now, I'm not sure if it was in the 92 Curtis Cup, but can you tell me a story about the worst weather you've ever played in in Scotland or, or England or over there? I mean, you, I know you've had many trips. I know there's other other times you've been across the pond, but I mean, are there, can you think back to the, so the, probably the worst weather you've ever played in? Well, I will say that when we made that trip, we went with another couple, and, and we were over there for two weeks, and we had rain every single day. It was oh. horrible. But <laughs> but when we played in the Curtis Cup in 92, that first day was unbelievable. And it really it was one of those sideways-type winds and rains. and uh, But it was kind of fun. You know, it really was. Well, I the, guess I'm a nut. Well, I mean, you're 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 not a you're not a two two girl, is what you're saying. <laughs> That's right. Not, you're not, right. Not a two two girl. Yeah. Well, you know, it's and not to bring it bring it up, but obviously, well, going to bring it up. GB and I won in '92, and GB and I won in '96, and it's kind of odd. I mean, the U.S. has such a domination of the Curtis Cup, except for this one little. 1986 to 1996 little patch where GB and I won every year except for one year. Is it? <laughs> I, kn- right. I know. I, and I'm just, uh, I, I'm just bringing it up just because I mean, Hey, it's, it's, it's in black and white, but it's just, I mean, it is what it is. But So you're saying there's that common denominator. <laughs> uh, that's not what I'm saying, Martha. Now don't, don't get me in trouble here. I, I try, I can do that on my own, but I'm just saying it's like, it's a weird little patch here. Is there yeah. any, is it just the the you know players coming through? I mean, you have you know Katrina uh, Matthew, and you have Carolina Hall, and you have you know a lot of the same players. But is it just 
Is it just that time when it just happens that way? Or do you remember kind of that? I mean, obviously you remember that 10-year period. Um, is it anything other than just they had some strong players at the time that, that played well when it counted? I really do think that was what it was, that, yeah. uh, that they really had a couple of very strong teams through that period. And, and you know, the thing I remember is that, especially in 96, that they really played well and they made tons of putts. And, you know, it's, it's a match where you know, the matches were close and yeah. you make a couple or you miss a couple and it turns – turns the matches around, but, uh, but it's still, you know, the Curtis cup is just by far the, the most wonderful experience I think for amateur players. Well, uh, I'm, I'm a nut for, for Curtis cup and Walker cup. I just think that the team format is, is just, it's so exciting and, and looking forward to attending a Curtis cup in the near future. Obviously I've been to a couple of Walker cups. Now you mentioned common denominators, um, you are not the first person of the first first member of that '96 team that's been on the podcast. I just recently had Brenda <laughs> Brenda Corey Keen, and I love that the laughter has already started because um, I just recently had her on on the on the podcast, and and you know she's always you know she's a good sport, and I'm sure she's going to be okay with with a good story about '96. But what can you tell me about captaining Brenda Corey Keen? At, uh, at Killarney. Well, and I, I teased her before I came on that I was going to get even with her. But, Love uh, it. But Love it. Re- really, Brenda was a great player. She was really nervous and, and <laughs> high-strung, and, but, but so enthusiastic and agreeable and everything that, that I will say that our team had um, some fairly picky eaters. We had one with high blood sugar one with low blood sugar and Brenda oh. wouldn't eat anything that <laughs> <laughs> so, she was the, and so it it was interesting trying to feed these women and at that point we didn't have you know team managers and sure. and that my husband Ken was pretty much our team manager oh no he was, take, <laughs> he, he was making hotel our reservations for dinner and taking clothes to be dry cleaners and stuff so uh it really it but those are wonderful experiences. You know, they really are. And I think that uh, all of us had a good time. And, of course, we all wish we had done better, but sure. uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and you know, really and truly for uh, the gals that were on the GB&I team, that we're still friends, too. That, right. uh, it, and that's the part, that one of the parts that's special, that you're not only always in this already with uh, the players on your team that uh, there's a, a special bond with the players that were on the other team that uh, Carol and I went over this year uh, in September and we played golf with uh, uh, Julie Hall and Claire Hulham, uh, two of the people Dowling and uh, and so we still are friends and so that's that's uh, a bond that we all have. That's incredible. So Claire Hurhan, you actually have your match with her in 92 when you paired with Robin Weiss. So all these years later, you're putting together another game. Well, and I, and I played her in singles also. Yeah, that's right. And, and so we, I like to tell her that, um, oh my gosh. I, I, I won the battle, but lost the war uh-huh. kind of thing. 
That's incredible. You're right. I mean, beat her in singles in 92, and then now just, you know, a, a handful of years later, you see how I did that, a handful of years later, just re, re, rekindling and playing another match. That's awesome. Where'd you Where'd you play when you were there? We played at, uh, at St. Andrews. Okay. We played the, the new course. I, I've played the new course. I, I, I like it quite a bit. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And now... Except- Go Except ahead. they beat us. <laughs> Except, oh, they, they beat you. Okay, man. They did. All mm-hmm. right. Now, I've played the Eden course. What do you think of the Eden course? Yeah, I think they're all fun courses. Yeah. That, yeah, that they, they really are. That they're, they're fun to play, and, you know, it's different, and but it's it's pretty casual. You just kind of go over, and on the new course, you don't need a tee time. You just go and yeah. stand in line and play. Off, it's you, fun. off you go. You mentioned Carol. You're referring to Carol Semple Thompson, who, you know, this is this is a kind of a unique aspect of this '96 team, where your your teammates with her in '92, and then you captain her in '96. Now, um, <laughs> she's played in on twelve Curtis Cup teams, which is absolutely mind-boggling. Um, it is. But most captains, they don't have that kind of an experience where someone they played with is on the team. I mean, now, like you said, it's so much different now. These kids are there. You know, luckily, the, you know, they can get on for one team and then off they go. They're, they're turning professional for the most part. That's that's the case. But, I mean, what what would the, what was that kind of that dynamic like, you know, having her on the team and then you're the captain and you're, I mean, Sure, you're 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 great friends, but it's still it's it's Carol Seville Thompson. I mean, that's just kind of a, a unique experience. Yeah, it was. So, and we were friends, and right. and so I will say that I consulted her several times. Uh-huh. As, uh While I, when I was captain, and Sarah was also on on my team, of and course. then uh, we played together. Yeah, yeah. So, well, uh, I, Carol's I, a great person. Yeah, well, we were. I was going to mention this later, but we're talking so much about St. Andrews and playing. You're playing over there. Um, you know, 2015 has to be one of those years that you're has to stand out in your. I mean, in your not just your golfing career, but just in your life, where you and Carol become the first uh, the first women members of the Royal and Ancient, and. You know, there's these phone calls you get or letters you get. Hey, you know, you've been accepted into this college, or uh, you've been you've been chosen to be on a Curtis Cup team, or or we're giving you a special exemption, or we're putting you in a Hall of Fame, which you're in a Hall of Fame too. In case anyone's wondering, I I don't think I've ever been able to ask a question like this. You you get notified that you've been asked to be a a member of the Royal and Ancient, and we're talking about someone that you know grew up in Alabama and started when you didn't even have a college <laughs> golf team. I mean, there's just the start is what's so fascinating. And then you get that call. Take it from there. I don't even know what to ask about that. I mean, how does that even register? Well, and, and what happened is I got a letter from Peter Dawson. And I the letter, and I kind of started laughing. And I said, Jen, you aren't going to believe this. Read this letter. <laughs> I mean, I was totally shocked. I yeah. really was. If that it's, was if that was email, that pr- probably would have gotten caught in the spam folder, right? I mean, who believes <laughs> who, who believes anything like that? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and uh, who's, who? Why is Peter Dawson sending me uh-huh. anything? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you. So that was really fun. Yeah. So, so do you both ladies go over together? Is there some sort of a, a ceremony? Is it just like, hey, you're in, or how? How did? I mean, what was your first trip like as a member? 
Actually, that's an even well, better. That's an even better one. Like, okay, great, you get the letter, but you have to go over there. What What is that first experience like? Knowing that I'm just going to walk in the front door and no one else has done it in history. <laughs> that's right. It, it It is really really strange, but uh, I will say that they made it very easy. Very, they did a nice job of making it very special, but also making it uh, not overdoing it. And right. it really, it was very very nice and. And actually, this past year was the first year that Carol's been able to co- go. And so she and I did go together, which was really fun that we had a great trip. And uh, so the first time was, it was nerve-wracking. It really was. You know, when people think of like, oh, my gosh, you remember at Roland Ancient, all they're probably thinking of is, okay, you get to play as much golf as you want to, and you get a tee time, and you're great. But there's so much more to it than that. There's the history and then all the things you can attend. Has there been one of those? I mean, what's been your favorite moment of being a member at Roland Ancient, aside of putting a club in your hand? Well, I, again, I think it's the the fun things of being together that uh, Claire Hohan Dowling is also a member, and so she and I have reconnected quite a bit. And and Julie Hall, who is uh, she's not a member, but she she's the one that played with us, and so to go over there and see people that you've had the opportunity to know for years and, and men too that uh, that it's a big group but there are a lot of Americans that you know and so it, it does make it special to be go, to go over there and see people you know and enjoy playing and the camaraderie as well as the competition well you you captained the team in 96 and then you know right around this time a few years later you start serving on the usj women's committee and and you've been there since 99 and had numerous different roles whether it's a chair co-chair uh you know rules i mean it seems like you've done it all there and it's just it's a it's one of those aspects of the game where there's always an opportunity to give back there's always an opportunity to kind of help the, the the younger kids and players you know kind of matriculate on and, and move and achieve as a lot of amateur golf what was um what was your first role you know how did you get involved with with the usj women's committee what was maybe the some of the first roles and first things that you uh were responsible for or got involved in you know how, how did your beginning start with the usga well i i served on the women's mid-am championship committee before I was on the women's committee, and so um, I had served on that for five or six years and, and then was asked to go on the women's committee, and you know, that, again, was a great honor. And, and it was at a perfect or a nice time when my golf game was starting to go downhill, so it was, <laughs> nice. It was nice to have some other way to stay involved at, at, you know, at, at a high level, and, and so that, that really worked out great. No, some of the I served as chairman of the girls' junior committee, which was really, you know, I enjoyed that because I enjoyed the the juniors. And then the other thing that I really enjoyed was I was also on the international team selection committee, and that uh, was nice because then you again got to, even if it was just on paper, you stayed in touch with a lot of the players and what they had done and their accomplishments. And so I enjoyed that. Well, and I enjoyed all of it. Yeah. It's it was a great opportunity to work with, you know, not only the other women on the women women's committee, but the staffs and the clubs, and and so it really it's you know, golf is uh, in the whole scheme of things is a 
pretty small group, and and so you you tend to cross paths with the same people over and over, which is really fun. You mentioned the international the team selection committee. So you know most fans that follow amateur collegiate golf, you know they 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 may think that the Walker Cup captain or the Curtis Cup captain kind of gets the final say. They're the ones that is that have the sole responsibility of making the selections for the team, and and that's not the case. I mean, my understanding is they they advise, they make suggestions, they may say, "Hey, I kind of like this player," but it's really the the ITC that makes the final call. Uh, I'm sure there's a secret sauce and there's things that, that can't be shared as far as how those decisions are made, but you know, you got a double-edged sword here. You know, the good news is that there are a lot of strong amateurs in the United States that are eligible to be on these teams. The bad news, there's a lot of strong amateurs that get to be able to, to make these teams as well. So, I mean, it, it's gotta be tough. I mean, Oh. You know, yeah. So how how do you sit down and look at the body of work of these these great amateurs? I mean, have you had to be on the the the? Have you had to pick up the phone? I mean, when you pick up the phone and tell a player they're on the team, that has to be incredibly fun and rewarding. Oh. But I'm guessing you have you been on the phone when you have to tell them they're not on the team? Yes. Oh. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. It really is. But uh, yes, I've done that many times, and it is not a fun job. And because you know that it's such a great opportunity and yeah. such a wonderful experience for everybody that's selected. And, you know, being that first alternate is the worst thing in the world. And it, and it really is. It's heartbreaking, especially when, when they fully expect to be on the team. And, and so it really is. It's, uh, it's gut-riching to make those phone calls. But, yes, I make those. Yeah, I won't ask you to rehash a, a, one of those kind of calls, but can you give me? A, but can you tell me about a fun one when you tell a player that they're on the team? I, I mean, it has to be incredibly either funny or emotional. They're they're either laughing or yelling or screaming or crying or maybe they don't think that maybe they think it's a prank phone call. Who knows? I mean, I, I'm sure. Uh, that, yeah, I think that though that description fits all of them. That you get the whole gamut. That some of them are just, I can't believe it, and some of them are so excited, and some of them are probably relieved that they did it, and, and some of them know that they're going to be on it, and so sure. it's not, uh, you know, it's not a surprise, but it's still a, a, a huge honor and something that, uh, you know, they'll hopefully remember and, and have warm memories for the rest of their lives about it. It's a nice phone call to make. So I think the one of the, I think the first time that I met you was at the 2020 u.s amateur final at bandon dunes you were the walking scorer in that final match with uh, ali osborne and tyler strafacci this was obviously not the first time you've you've done that you were actually you're at the 20 you were doing the same thing at, in 2010 for the u.s women's am where kang defeated jessica corda in charlotte so this has to be one of those incredible perks where you're just seeing the best i mean this is it this is the final match are those the, probably the two that stand out the most, or are there any other ones that you're kind of getting a, a view of? I mean, we're going to have to wait and see with Osborne and Strafacci, but obviously Kang and Korda, they've gone on to do incredible things. Do you remember other matches like that where you're looking at two and you're thinking to yourself, I might be seeing these two on TV for the foreseeable future? I was chairman of the Women's Committee the following year when Danielle Kang beat Moria Japanan Lugarn yeah. in Rhode Island Country Club. And then the following year, Lydia Coe beat Jay Marie Green in at uh, the Country Club 
in Cleveland, and all of those were really, really wonderful matches. And of course, Danielle's uh, a live wire, and so she was lots of fun. But to to watch Lydia Coe, at, I'm guessing at that point she was 15, and just to watch her play golf at that age and to see what she has done since then is incredible. Yeah. Yeah, that that uh, that 2021. Um, you know, if if you had to kind of watch where you're walking in that afternoon match because the fog rolled in um, <laughs> at Bandon, and uh, that that one, you know, you needed to stay close to to the you know to the uh, placards so you know you wouldn't get lost because I, I was there and I'm just like, how are they playing in this? There's a lot of great photos and video that was shared of. You know whether it's Stravacci or Osborne, just kind of hitting a golf ball into uh, the vast nothingness, basically, because you can't see where the ball's going. Like, I mean, it was probably ten, twenty yards off the tee; you couldn't see anything. Well, and it was interesting that um, oh, probably about on the thirteenth hole, they came over the radio and they said, "Hey, the weather, we can start having some fog," and and so. You know, any chance you get, speed the players up, uh-huh. that kind of stuff. I thought, oh, dear. And so they said, it's you're fine for a little while, but then it's going to kind of be in and out. And so uh, uh, I can remember walking over to uh, Tyler and saying, no, we may get some fun. Oh, great. That'll be so much fun. <laughs> and then he looked over at Ollie and, you know, some of these waves are coming into this is so cool. We're playing in the fog. And I thought, thank goodness, because, you know, I was afraid they were going to say, oh, no, it's foggy. We need to quit. Right. Because they said that, you know, over the radio, they said it's going to get worse. So we need to, to get it going. And then, of course, by the time we got you know, back over by the water, it was getting pretty bad. And, and again, they we told them on the 17th tee, we said, you know, it's really bad. You can't see, but it's going to get worse. So when you see a little window, go for it. And boy, they just, you know, they didn't miss a beat. They just, you, know, you could barely see the ball and they were hitting it. They were wonderful. That was a great match. Yeah, I remember that. There was a delay, I think, on 17. Is that what you were doing there? Because I actually, now that I remember, I think there was a delay on 17T. Mm-hmm. So you were kind of waiting for a pocket just to kind of clear up with the fog. Is that kind of what you were doing? Exactly. And, and I told them, I said, it's, you know, we, we're going to have some windows, but then it's going supposed to get worse. And so they were very agreeable. They found their window and they went for it. So, it, yeah, that was the that but that was the delay. So, so what you're saying here, Martha, is, is that Strafacci and Osborne were not, they were not two-two boys. That's right. They were great. I mean, so. they really were, and they, and they, embraced it and enjoyed it and and they were really two wonderful young men yeah you know i mentioned a little bit about shoal creek earlier where, where we were able to reconnect at the sec match play and you know you mentioned being around these kids and and having so much fun and and you know i i actually was a little guilty of it because I, I mean met you at vanden dunes but i was kind of in tunnel vision at sec match play thinking about what i'm doing and then you know, met and talked to you, and then it, as I, you know, it didn't hit me right. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's Martha, and I just, you know, was kind of wrapped up in what I was doing. Do the kids at at the at Shoal and and players, 
please tell me they do understand uh, about that you have quite a bit of a playing resume and you're not just walking and keeping score and giving rules advice. Oh, I think they look kind of and say, who is that little old lady over there? <laughs> what are you doing here? And so, no, um, I don't think they have any clue that I even played golf, but that's okay. That uh, they, they are all such nice kids and they have wonderful golf games. It's just, they're incredible how talented they are and, and how hard they work. And it's, it's really, it's, so much fun to just be around them and see them and yeah it was really fun to to watch them play you know because i've seen other people play the golf course and but it's fun to see some young kids that aren't trying to protect anything they're just all you know pull out that driver and not only do they hit it three miles they also hit it very straight yeah yeah and and have had yeah, but they had good short games, and and I think that uh, college golf is great for them. That uh, they they learn a lot about team golf. They learn a lot about you know, what you're supposed to do, and I think it's probably a nice influence for coaches to have on players rather than just parents. So it's it's fun. Yeah. Well. I know Shoal Creek holds a special place in your heart and, you know, Shoal Creek has had some really, um, you know, it's had the 86 U.S. Amateur, uh, had, you know, 2008 U.S. Junior. Recently, the Women's Open was there in 2018. You were, anyone that was watching it on TV, you're the one handing the, handing the trophy to, (laughs) you're handing the trophy to Aria Jutanagarn. And, you know, I, I haven't been to a U.S. Women's Open yet, but, you know, from, from your perspective and in your experience you know you know the size of the the usga machine so to speak when it comes to a club to host a championship because you know you're not just a typical member of a club you, you've seen you know when the tents come to town and and all the tv cameras you, you know what to expect but still it's your home club that had to be absolutely surreal for you to see the best players in the world at your home club and you know you just mentioned you know the kids you like being around please tell me that some of these players reached out to you to get some advice about about how to play Shoal Creek. Oh, yeah, they they know more about golf than I do. But uh, you know, and I talked to some of them. It was fun. I did uh, walk a few holes with Lydia Coe, and I actually came back home and got the picture of me giving her the amateur trophy uh, that I have on my wall. Right. And I I showed it to her. And, oh yeah, I remember that. That was so cool. <laughs> and and so and Jennifer Song is a it, she's another player that had she won the amateur and the public links. And so she uh, was fun. I caddy actually caddied during the practice rounds for her for nine holes one day, which was really really fun. And and it's fun to see these girls that are such great players play the golf course. They they're playing a game I'm not familiar with. Trust me, and and so it really is. It's it's so fun to watch them play it, and and they know what they're supposed to do. Well, I don't know. You know, you're talking about that. You don't really. You know, they play a game you're not familiar with. You know, I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. You know, we're not just completely talking about your past achievements. Um, if I remember correctly, I do believe. See, I've done my research. You uh, you you did pick up a win recently. You know, 2020 state four ball championship. You know how I left a couple. You know, 
things out of that. It's just state four ball. So you're you're a state four ball champion as of last year. So you're you're still playing. You're still golfing your ball. I don't want people to think you're not playing a whole lot of golf these days. Well, and and I will say that uh, a lot of winning a four ball is picking a good partner. Hey, that's <laughs> part of the game. You got to know what you're doing there. That's right. I mean, come that's on. That's right. I did a very good job there. But Susan West was my partner, and we yeah. had a lot of fun. So, uh, yes, I think picking a good partner is a lot. A lot of it. Well, <laughs> In my case. Yeah, you have. Well, you know that that's the case with any four ball. Um, I, I want to let you go, but I I just I also want to make sure I mention. You know, this is a great time for women's golf, and especially with the USGA, uh, you know, reaching a partnership with Prometica. I mean, the the, the purse is it seems like the purse is going to double, I believe, to at least over ten million for, for and and that's great for these for these current stars in the LPGA tour and. And also the U.S. Open is going to go to places like Riviera and Oakland Hills and Pinehurst, and I'm pretty sure there's some other big announcements on the way about where it could be going. But um, as I said, I mean, you know, Corda and Thompson and Kang and like Lydia Ko, players that we've, we're all very familiar with, they're going to reap the benefits or they're going to reap the immediate benefits of, of a purse increase uh, now. But I think it's really going to help get more, you know, you know, women amateurs uh, excited about, you know, playing in these national championships Again, when you see news like that happen and from where this, you know, from your start in, in competitive golf to where it is now, it has to give you just a, an immense source of pride and just excitement about where the future of the game is going for women. It really is. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, yes, it's fantastic that the Women's Open is going to jump the purse to that level. But I think what it's going to do is it's going to, basically over a few years it will have the effect of raising all of the purses and I think that that part will will be as substantial as 10 million next year that I think that uh, when you see I bet you in a couple of years that the minimum purse will go up by a million or so and I think that 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 will help as much as one purse going up sure I think it's it's a huge step. It really is. And, and, you know, these players are so good that they, they deserve what they're getting and they've worked hard and, but they are certainly reaping the benefits that the, the Judy rankings making, you know, 75, making $150,000 won't really get to benefit from, but, uh, it, they blaze the trail and these young players that are so good are going to really benefit from it. Yeah. No, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. What, um, 2022 is going to be a busy year for me. What's on tap for you in 2022? Well, I'm looking forward to going to the women's open and the Curtis cup. And, uh, and then I'll officiate here at, uh, country club of Birmingham for the men's four ball. And, and so, and I'll be doing the women's SBC, which is going to be, uh, here in Birmingham also. So I'm looking forward to all of those. You're going to have a busy year. Uh, I hope so. Yep, of course. I'm looking forward to it. That's great. Martha, I will see you at least. On, I think I'm going to see you on the last day of the uh, of the Curtis Cup at Marion. So that's going to be pretty exciting. Um, I'll keep my eye out for you. And, yeah, appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Fun to catch up. Fun to hear your story. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime soon. Well, Ben, thanks so much, and I, I can't say enough about how much I appreciate what you've done for so much for amateur golf, but I think it's so fun to, to 
see some of these or listen to these people and talk to them and get to know them when they're amateurs. So I really appreciate that. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you very much, Martha. Greatly appreciate you being a guest here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We'll see you next time here at the back of the range.